The chalice, as a symbol of Unitarian Universalism, arose as a beacon of hope in an atmosphere of tyranny. The chalice arose as a sign of promise that the marginalized world would neither be forgotten nor ignored because they are beloved and precious from the perspective of the holy. This morning, we remember all of the people who have been told explicitly or implicitly through police violence or government policy, through derision or dehumanization, that they're anything less than whole, anything less than beloved. As we each light a chalice in our homes, may we make a beacon up, may we make our lives a beacon, a symbol of our promise to draw the circle wide, a sign that we will not rest until all means all. you to settle in for a time for all ages. Today's service title is Embodying Anti-Racism. This is deep spiritual work that Unitarian Universalists and many others, of course, across the continent are engaged in. And so I have a set of Legos with me today. I wonder how many of you have played with Legos? I love Legos, the sets that come with the instruction manual, and they lay out all the pieces and the steps to create one particular thing. The process of finding the bricks and putting them together and then having my creation show up in three dimensions. It's pretty amazing. But imagine with me for a moment, what if all of the instruction manuals were written with a flaw in them, something that keeps our creation from being what we hope it could be? What if we are following along and while what we build looks like what we are expecting, somehow our creation does not work in the way that we want it to. Racism and white supremacy are embedded in the systems and the structures of this country. Sometimes it's obvious. You can look back at the Jim Crow laws and segregation, at housing deeds that told people who you could or could not sell your house to in order to keep neighborhoods segregated. But sometimes it's not as obvious, but the systems and the structures are still upholding white supremacy. Sometimes just by doing what we have always done, following the manual, we are perpetuating a system of injustice. The instruction manuals are not helping us to build a just and equitable world. Just like in our Lego build, well, we would change the plan, right? We reimagine how to put the pieces together to have our creation function as in our vision of what is possible. Only by looking close and examining our thoughts and our actions and their impact can we find what it is that we need to change and to be a part of dismantling the systems that cause harm. We can make the space for the reimagined vision. Thank you.
I hope all of you received the most recent copy of the magazine, UU World. It has a number of very good articles in it that I commend to you. One of them highlights the 2021 Statement of Conscience. And let me explain what that is. Every three to four years at the annual General, General Assembly of all UU member congregations, there is a process for us to engage in that leads us to take a position on relevant issues of social justice. This is a three-year process. The first year, the delegates vote on whether to consider the statement. If that passes, these statements then go back to the congregations, and we are urged to study, reflect, and take action so we can integrate the substance of those statements into the, at the local level. Then in the third year, the statement comes back to the National Assembly for amendments and a vote for final approval, becoming a declaration of justice that all UU congregations across the country support if it's passed. These statements of conscience are a public display of what we believe put out to the world as our moral call for justice. The 2021 Statement of Conscience that just passed was introduced to the General Assembly in 2018. It is titled, Undoing Systemic White Supremacy, A Call for Prophetic Action. It has been one of the most controversial statements we have made, not because it calls us to systemically root out racism, but because it also calls us to engage in, and I quote, the internal work within our denomination to overcome the ways in which systemic white supremacy is woven into our group cultures, interpersonal relationships, and individual ingrained biases. This is different from previous statements that make moral declarations of justice. This one is self-accusatory and demands we examine ourselves and the way we participate in racism. No one likes to be called a racist. It feels worse when the words, words white supremacy are used. And you use who pride ourselves on being a progressive liberal faith have reacted strongly to the statement of conscience. I remember 2018 very well when this statement was first introduced. It was disturbing at both, both a personal level and at a denominational level. I felt defensive and unable to argue that I was not a racist. It's a bit like having to answer that question, have you stopped beating your dog yet? And then to be associated with white supremacy and with the images of lynching and murder that evokes. That was unimaginable to me. And at the larger denominational level, this has torn our churches apart. Many UUs have devoted their lives to justice work, grounding their work as beginning with the civil rights movement with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this statement has felt like a betrayal, that they have been unfairly judged. They have been pleased to the folk who wrote the statement to remove the words white supremacy because they are too divisive and too harsh. But those who brought this statement to the assembly did not budge on this. 
believing that until we can each admit to our complicit, unexamined participation in the white supremacy system, we won't be able to make the real vital changes toward dismantling racism. Other statements of conscience have been easy to pass. We have made ourselves clear about reproductive rights, the immoral immigration system, about the need to stop climate change and to defend the democratic process. But this one has required more than the others. This one has pointed the finger back at the liberal community and required us to examine ourselves. You might think that as progressive thinkers, we would be able to embrace the challenge. But racism seems to require far more than comprehension and reason. There has been a visceral reaction. It has disturbed our faith at a deep level. In this same issue of UU World, Susan Frederick Gray, the president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, writes about the call to be anti-racist and goes on to explain how our Unitarian theology might lead us to behaviors that reinforce some of the underpinnings of white supremacy culture. She explains that our theology emerged as a rejection of orthodox notions that humans are inherently depraved. Instead, we assert the inherent goodness, virtue, and value of each person, each individual. Our salvation is not based on forgiveness, but it is based on how we conduct ourselves in the world. The notions of being better people, of creating a better society, have been central to our liberation, liberal theology. I quote from her, there is a negative side to this theological frame. The emph emphasis on perfectibility leaves little room for struggle, failure, the reality of how we hurt each other, and legacies of harm. Centering the individual and a model of works righteousness also fosters a culture of paternalism, which reinforces, even unconsciously, ideas of hierarchy and superiority. The roots of white supremacy and colonialism, which manifest in domination and conquest, are these same ideologies of paternalistic superiority. I end quote. We have a theological propensity toward a way of thinking and acting that can inadvertently support the culture we claim to reject. And now this is all very intellectual, and explaining things at a theological level is enlightening and even interesting. Over the past 10 years, there have been dozens of excellent books that explore the history, persistent roots, and insidious nature of racism. I've learned a lot from these, beginning with the concept of race created as a social construct, how police and prison industries have roots in slavery and racial fear, how social community and housing services have perpetuated stereotypes and segregation, and on and on. So much, so much has been written about this. And as I learn more, I despair that the injustice that makes no sense to my intellect and in my heart doesn't, I, it, sorry, I'm gonna say that again. As I learn more, I despair that the injustice that makes no sense to me, to my intellect or to my heart, which defy racism, it doesn't seem like enough though. 
I am not sure we can reason our way out of the system we are embedded in. Perhaps these words from Ta-Nehisi Coates offer some wisdom. He writes, but all our phrasing, race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy, serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience, that it dislodges brains, blocks airways, rips muscles. You must always remember that the sociology, the history, the economics, the graphs, the charts, the regressions all land with great violence upon the body. In his book titled, My Grandmother's Hands, Resman Menachem has suggested another way to begin to work of dismantling racism. He explains that we have to do more than get our minds to understand. We must learn to integrate our physical, biological reactions in this process. We carry the trauma of racial tension in our bodies. He writes, for the past three decades, we've earnestly tried to address white body supremacy in America with reason, principles, and ideas, using dialogue, forums, discussions, education, and mental training. But the widespread destruction of black bodies continues. It's not that we're being lazy or insincere, but we've focused our efforts in the wrong direction. We've tried to teach our brains to think better about race, but white body supremacy doesn't live in our thinking brains. It lives and breathes in our bodies. Manikam's work as an expert on conflict and violence and as a behavioral health specialist has led him to understand psychobiology, that our bodies have a form of knowledge that is different from our cognitive brain. This type of knowledge is experiential. It is pain or ease, energy or numbness. It is our bodies that feel hope or fear. There is a whole complex system of nerves that connect our brainstem, heart, lungs, stomach, and spine. This connects to a part of our body that doesn't use cognition. This lizard brain is limited to a few basic survival commands, and we've heard these, rest, fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. It is this level of response that is triggered by racism. I'm oversimplifying this a lot, as you can imagine. I urge you to read more about this. But what he helps explain is that I cannot intellectualize my way out of the traumatic history of racism. While my mind can find it untenable, my body holds the story of what I have witnessed and learned about being white in this country. Until I can learn to identify what is happening in my body, I'm a victim to the physical reactions of fear, disgust, grief, sorrow. I carry these around in my body with my heart beating fast, my breathing becoming shallow, my stomach churning. I carry this knowledge in my body even if I can't name the trauma I'm experiencing. How do we begin the healing? Or at least how do we integrate knowing how our body is reacting, perhaps why it's reacting that way and what we can do? 
Menachem does a remarkable thing in his book. At the end of each chapter, he includes practices he uses with his patients. These are guided meditations, visualizations, body practices, and a lot of breathing practices. He has learned that over the years, therapists have learned that psychotherapy or talk therapy has some benefit, but recent studies and discoveries increasingly point out that we heal primarily in and through the body. Our nervous systems need growth and healing. The practices he promotes begin the work of knowing what our bodies experience. If we can learn these practices, integrate them, and use these while we're in safe places, we may be more able to call on these when we feel threat or danger, when we most need to be aware of our body knowledge. The practices he uses are similar to what we do each week here, what I call spiritual practices. They help us become more mindful, more gracious, and understanding. We become more embodied. These practices of deep breathing, settling into our bodies, becoming more mindful, these give us the skills to be less controlled by our lizard brain. Whether we call these practices body practices or therapy or spiritual, these are key to how we begin to dismantle the racism that has embedded itself in our bodies, the racism that we have not yet been able to intellectualize our way out of. And so the call, my friends, is this. To begin the work of examining ourselves, our bodies, our visceral responses, to begin the practices of noticing how we respond to disagreement, conflict, and threat, to not solely rely on our brain's knowledge to dismantle the racism we have unwittingly embodied, and to begin the practices of learning our body's knowledge. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>